You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come join our community or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. privilege hello yeah there we go we get the privilege of introducing our guest speaker here today he's probably familiar to many of you but let me introduce him nonetheless Chris is a husband dad professor pastor and scholar for the past 11 years he has taught at the faculty at Moody Bible Institute as professor of pastoral studies he oversees the pastoral studies program he holds a PhD in leadership studies from Gonzaga as well as the University of Edinburgh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and the Moody Bible Institute. He was raised in Destin, Florida, and he now lives in northwest Indiana with his wife, Ashley, and their three kids. Before kids, his hobbies were enjoying hiking and outdoor activities and trying new food. Now his hobbies are playing freeze tag in the yard trying to make, and trying to make food that his kids will like and eat. In addition to all of this, many of us remember Chris from years back when he attended uh, Bethel during his years as an undergrad student at Moody, where he served as an intern, youth ministry volunteer, important to many of our lives, including my own. So please welcome with me Dr. Chris Rapazzini. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I think uh, I was your small group leader at one time and uh, served with so many of you. And it's just so great to be, be back here. Yeah, I was here uh, in 03 to 07. And um, it's just fantastic to, to be back, to see so many familiar faces as well, to be uh, reunited. And Mark, I'm so proud of you. You know, now you her pastor here, which is amazing. And you have a great pastor in Mark. Um, as well as uh, Pastor Paul, and I know he's with the, at the men's uh, outing this weekend, but Pastor Paul uh, and I go way back as well. I think I was here when he first came here um, during those first years, and I remember specifically uh, he was in his office at one point, and he was getting something out of his filing cabinet. He was down on his knees looking for something, and then we were out in the hallway, and there was a young boy or girl who came up to him, and he Again, went down on his knees, and I thought to myself, that guy spends a lot of time on his knees. But then I thought, as a pastor, that's what you want. You want a pastor who spends a lot of time on their knees. And I know that you all are in the transition right now as well, and uh, so I'll continue to pray for uh, the new person that God may bring into your lives, as well as for you all and for your hearts and in your minds But it is a joy for me to be back here and just, you do not know how influential you all and this church and the families of this church have been on my own personal life and just the way that I think about church, the way that I think about Christianity and so many families here. Of course, the real family and Brixton, happy birthday to you. Haven't seen you yet, but happy birthday. Uh, But the Shoemakers, the Allens, uh, the Matsons, the Metchers, I mean, I could just go on and on. You have been so, like I said, just influential in my life, and I am so appreciative 
Uh, and, and it's almost like, when I was just sitting there thinking, um, it was almost, it's almost like this is a glimpse of what heaven will be like. You've been, uh, you've been gone, and, and, I, and I know I'm getting emotional here, and it's not even the introduction of the sermon, but it's like being reunited with brothers and sisters in Christ and fathers and, and mothers. So thank you so much. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans 16. This is a very unemotional text here, okay? Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Let me read the first verse, and then I'll make a couple comments here. The first couple verses. Uh, Paul is ending his letter to the people in Rome, and he says this. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant or a deaconess of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to me or to many people, including me. And then, well, then Paul gives a list of names, a, a list of strange names, it's quite interesting uh, that it's almost as if he's calling the role. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been in church where the role has been called. So-and-so here, so-and-so here, so-and-so, Bueller, 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 right? They're not here. It's, Paul is almost like he's calling the role, and it's oftentimes, it seems like it's almost a boring list. In fact, let me try and just read through this list without botching any of these names. All right, here we go, verse 3. And I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, you might have a different translation as well, but here we go, Romans 16, verse 3. He says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the providence of Asia. Uh, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerissus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I don't know if you have a, a life verse or a life passage. I'm willing to guess it's not Romans 16. Because it's, it's just a list of names. And a lot of times a list of, well, strange names that are hard to pronounce. 
In fact, I teach, one of the classes I teach at Moody is a preaching class, and I oftentimes tell my students, stay away from the lists when you're preaching them, because a lot of times it's just a list of names, genealogies, they're a lot of times boring. But you know, when you think about it, actually lists of names don't necessarily have to be boring. Well, they could be actually quite interesting. Uh, every year, I mentioned I teach at Moody. At the beginning of the year, uh, I call the roll. I call the roster. And it's always interesting who is in the class and the different names of the people who are in the class. I remember one semester, I had three Lindsays, and they each spelled their names differently. One was from California, one was from Chicago, and one was from Florida. Three different Lindsays. In another one of my classes, and I remind you this is a Bible college, and so in this one class it was predominantly uh, men in the class, there were um, a bunch of names that were, well, biblical names. We had a David, a Joseph, we had a Jonathan, a Daniel, we had one guy whose name, his name was Samuel Adam Mark, we had a Moses, and I believe we also had a Philip, all in one class. Remember, it was a Bible college. In another class, I had, uh, well, I had two, well, two slash three people with the last name Low, L-O. Maybe wondering, what, two slash three, what do you mean? Well, uh, this, these two people, they were um, from Korea, and they were married, and she was seven months pregnant with their firstborn child. And she mentioned at some point in the semester she um, would probably uh, have that child. And so uh, we had to arrange things. But it was quite interesting that there's these people here with the last name, the same last name as Lo. A few semesters before that, I made the mistake because there were two people in the class who had the same last name. And I made the mistake of thinking that they were married. They were not married, to which then I made the comment, well, if you end up uh, dating and getting married, it would make the transition a little bit smoother, to which they said, that's not going to happen, we're brother and sister. <laughs> Good, yes, let's, let's not make that happen. Like I said, reading a list of names can actually be quite interesting. It can be quite exciting as well. For instance, if you grew up in Chicago in the mid-90s, which I'm imagining most of you did, uh, you knew that whenever a list of names was called at the United Center, yes, I get a, I get a Christian moo here, mm-hmm, right here from Pastor Mark, that people were excited when that list of names happened. Because when the announcer came over the PA system to announce the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls, right? Remember the music? It would start with do 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 and then they had a little cartoon of the Bulls running through the you know the city. And now, you know, you're starting the man in the middle from down under, Luke Longley, Scotty Pippen. You know, everyone would cheer. And then, of course. From North Carolina, 6-6, Michael Jordan, woo! You know, everybody would cheer when that list of names was read. You know, last fall, 
in September in New York City at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. A list of names was read at Ground Zero to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. That list of names, it, it, it wasn't boring, it wasn't interesting, it, it wasn't exciting. It was something else. Because they, li- they read the list of names of all those who died on that day. And you know, at Ground Zero in New York City, where the two towers used to stand, there are uh, water monuments of the perimeter of those buildings. And on the edge of the water monuments, well, are names, a list of names. And people, for the last 20 years, would go and they would read the names. They'd put their fingers on a name. They would leave flowers at the foot of a name. Because for them, it wasn't, it wasn't a list. For them, it wasn't just a name. No, for them, it was family. It was friends. It was memories. And for Paul, in Romans 16... He's not calling the roll. He's not just reading a list of strange names. No, for Paul, he is, well, for Paul, he's reading names of his family, his friends, of memories. Because for Paul, this is not just a list of names. This is a church. These are some of the people who are the closest to him and to his life. His memories flood back when he writes their names. You know, but who are these people? And why are they here? Some people don't even believe, scholars believe that Romans 16 should even be a part of the book of Romans. They think it should just end after chapter 15. But I think that as Paul is writing in chapters 14 and 15 about Christians and the weak believer and the strong believer and people who disagree but they are coming together, I think he's reminded of his friends, of his family, who are in Rome. And I remind you, Paul has never been to Rome. He has not stepped foot in Rome at this point. Yet, there's a church in Rome, and who you can read early on in Romans chapter 1, the whole world has heard about this church that's in Rome. Now, I don't expect you to remember from when I read it, but at this church in Rome, there are, well, there's brothers and sisters There's married couples, there's singled people, there's people who come from a lot of wealth, there's people who make minimum wage, there's all types of people at this church, there's people who are immigrants, there are people who are friends, and now they're in Rome. Paul's never been to Rome, but the whole world has heard about what's going on in Rome and about this church that is in Rome. So actually, let's, let's look through these names again. See who are these people who are near and dear to Paul's heart. Well, in verse 3, he says, uh, uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the 
church that meets at their house. You see, Priscilla and Aquila, or Paul had a nickname, Prissa, Priscilla and Aquila, they were, um, well, they were close companions of Paul. In the mid-50s AD, when Caesar started to blame things that were happening in Rome on the Christians, they, well, they told Priscilla and Aquila and the rest of the Jews, you got to go. So Priscilla and Aquila, they ended up in Corinth, and that's where they first met Paul when he was a tent maker. And they decided to go into business with him, and they were actually pretty good. They were good business, they were a good businessman and woman. They came from a lot of wealth. And so they used their resources to be able to provide shelter for the church that met in Corinth, as well as when they traveled to Ephesus as well. In fact, you could say that the chief characteristics of this power couple are open hearts and open doors. Because wherever you find them in Scripture, their homes are always open to the churches that met in their, um, in their homes. And you know, at one point, the authorities, we don't know if it's the Roman authorities or the Jewish authorities, they came to Paul and they wanted to arrest Paul. But then they stood in between the authorities and Paul and said, hey, if you want to get to Paul, you got to come through us. And they risked their lives for Paul. And now they're back in Rome. And they're doing what they had always done. They're opening their doors, they're opening their lives to believers and saying, hey, come meet in our house. That's probably where the church in Rome was meeting. And Paul says, hey, I'm in Corinth right now. In a little bit, i got to go down to Jerusalem to a hornet's nest of hostility, but hopefully one day I'll make it to Rome. But before I get there, I want you to know I say hello. Well, then he says uh, in halfway through verse 5, And greet my dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Province of Asia. I can't forget about Epinatus. Well, you know Paul. He was a great missionary. He traveled around. First missionary journey was fairly successful. He said, you know what? I got a little bit more funds. Let's go a little bit deeper now, a little bit further. So he goes on into his second missionary journey. And things are going great. Uh, People are coming to know Christ. He's given the gospel message left and right. But then he makes his way to the pagan area region of Asia Minor. And Paul gives the gospel message in the court square as he gives them in the synagogue. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to become a believer in Christ, just raise your hand. And crickets. Nothing was happening. Perhaps Paul was thinking, maybe, maybe God has left this pagan nation and doesn't want anything to do with it. Maybe Paul's thinking, maybe I've lost it and I'm no longer the missionary that I once was. But he continued to preach faithfully. He gave the gospel and gave an invitation. If you want to come to Christ, even if you're in the balcony, just raise a hand. Nobody. Until, slowly, in the back, a hand pops up. And it's none other than Epinatus. And he talks to Epinatus after the service. And he leads him to Christ. And what a, what a great reminder of the Lord's just grace and the Lord's providence and the Lord's sovereignty and all of that. It must have been so encouraging for Paul. 
And now Epinetus is no longer in that pagan area of Asia Minor. And just think about the raw courage it would take to be the first person, not just in your friend group, but in your whole country to come to Christ. The raw courage of Epinetus. And now he is in Rome. And Paul says, hello. It's not just a list of names. It's people who are close to Paul. Well, then he says, uh, verse 6, and greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. You know, every church has a Mary or a Martin. You have a Mary. You have a Martin. In fact, you have a lot of Marys. I know this. You have a lot of Martins. These are the people who work really hard who, at the church. You know, uh, they're the ones who come in early, unlock all the doors, get the bulletins ready, get the communion cups ready. When the service is over, they stay late, and they clean up, and they stack up the chairs. Paul's there, I'll help you, Mary. Oh, no, no, Paul, you go home, get some rest. No, I'll help you clean up all the bulletins and all the trash. No, 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 Paul, go home. You just preached your heart out. You need to go rest. I'll finish up here. I'll close up. I'll lock up and turn the lights off. Thanks, Mary. You have a Mary. You have several Marys. And now this Mary is in Rome. And Paul says, hello. There's uh, Andronicus and Junius, or Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. See, this is Andronicus and Junia. That's Paul's nickname for Junius because, well, family members have nicknames for one another. And that's what they were to Paul. They were his relatives. You see, they were believers in Christ before Paul was. They didn't know him as Paul. They knew him as Saul. And they had prayed for Saul. They'd prayed that something would happen in his life, that he would come to know Christ. They had heard about what Saul was doing to people just like them. But imagine their jubilee when one day they get a knock on the door. And they think maybe it's, Maybe it's Saul coming after us. Maybe it's the authorities coming after us. But no, they slowly open the door, and it's the, the postman. He has a telegram. And they start to read that telegram, and it's written in Saul's handwriting. But it's not signed from Saul. It's signed from Paul. And as they read it, well, they read what happened to Paul on his road to Damascus, and now how he is like them. They meet up later on. It just so happens they also meet up in prison later on because they served the Lord together as family does. And now that family is in Rome. He remembers them. There's Ampelatus, whom I love in the Lord, who was uh, most likely a, sa a slave in Caesar's household. Uh, there's Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachys. Uh, greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. This, these words, tested and approved, your translation might say something a little bit different, but it means that they, he was, uh, went through extreme exhaustion to make sure that he was um, in Christ. There's uh, Herodian, who is probably, um, his, says his relative, but also probably of the family of Herod. And then he talks about a couple of families, actually. Uh, greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord, verse 11. 
Uh, and then, um, oh yeah, and in verse 10, greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Here's a family. We don't know what happened to the dad. We don't know how, what happened to the husband or the father because normally Paul just says the husband's name, the father's name. But here, in, instead, he says the whole household of Aristobulus and Narcissus. Paul says there's that family. You know them. You know, the, the Aristobulus family, the narcissist family. We don't know what happened to dad. Maybe he died. Maybe he's just not a Christian and stays home, doesn't want to go to church with his kids, with his wife. But his family does. Paul says you need to look, look out for them. Make sure they have enough food during the holidays. When their kids start back at school, make sure you go take them school shopping. Look after them. Look after those families. Make sure you keep an eye out on them. There's the twins, right, in verse 12, Trophina, Trophosa. You can see it in their names, can't you? Those women who worked hard in the Lord. Trophina and Trophosa, one means dainty, one means delicate. That's what their names mean. Paul could never really tell them apart. He'd see him in church and he couldn't remember, is this Trophina? Is this Trophosa? I don't know. They both wore blue all the time. They served in the nursery. You know they worked in the nursery because it says they worked hard in the Lord. If you've ever worked in the nursery with stinky, smelly, whiny kids, you've worked hard in the Lord. This is a church. They're in Rome. And Paul's never been to Rome. But the world has heard about this church in Rome. There's Persis in verse 12. Greet my dear friend Persis. Another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Persis, she's from Persia. And she, um, she's an immigrant. She doesn't look like the rest of the people. She's got a little bit of an accent. But the place that she found comfort was at this church in Rome. When she moved to Rome, she found a church. A church that, yeah, they didn't look like her, but they had the same beliefs. And they were loving towards her. And this is, you can see Paul says, uh, who has worked very hard in the Lord. She's probably one of the elderly ladies in the church. And now she's in Rome. And then there's Rufus, verse 13. How can I forget my good buddy Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me? Can't forget my, my friend Rufus. And Paul also probably can't forget the time that he was hanging out with Rufus. And then all of a sudden, Rufus's dad came in <clears throat> and told him the story of how several years ago, uh, he was just minding his own business on the streets of Jerusalem. When all of a sudden, a Roman soldier said, hey, you, you're from Cyrene, aren't you? Aren't you pick up this man's cross and help him carry it up to Golgotha. Tradition has it that Rufus's father is Simon, Simon of Cyrene. And now Rufus is in Rome. And Rufus is there with his mother. It's interesting, Paul gives a lot of different titles to people in Scripture, right? He calls Timothy and Titus his sons, his children. He calls others his fellow soldiers he calls Aphia his sister in the Lord but there's only one person in all of scripture that Paul gives the dedicated title of mother to 
And that's Rufus's mother. And now Rufus and his mom are in Rome. You can see Rufus's mother, can't you? I mean, she's the ultimate soccer mom, always bringing the orange slices to the games. She's the one who always wants to have the kids over. Paul spent the night at their house many times. Thanks so much, Rufus's mom, for letting me stay the night. I'll see you later. No, 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 Paul, you sit down before you leave. You got to eat your breakfast. No, 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 I, I got to go preach to the masses. I know you got to preach to the masses, but you got to eat your breakfast first. Sit down and eat your breakfast, and then you can go. And he calls her mom. And now she is in Rome. We don't have time to get through the rest of the names here. But for Paul, this is not just a list of names. For Paul... This is a church. It's a church. But what are we to do with this? It's a church, okay? So what? Let me give you another name. Uh, that's the name uh, Haddon Robinson. Now, you might not know that name, and I don't expect you to know that name. But for people like me who are in the preaching world and the teaching of the preaching world, um, he's a fairly important name. Uh, Haddon Robinson, Dr. Haddon Robinson, was a professor of preaching. He first taught at Dallas Theological Seminary. In fact, Pastor Paul knows uh, he's very fr is good friends with uh, Dr. Robinson's family. Uh, then Dr. Robinson taught for 18 years at Dallas Theological Seminary. He became the president of Denver Theological Sem Seminary and then moved over to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And that's where I got to meet him. He's one of the main reasons I went there. I wanted to study preaching under him. And uh, he has since gone to be with the Lord. In fact, that's what my doctor, doctorate is in, is on his life, on his legacy, and his influence on the teaching of preaching. As I mentioned, that's one of the main reasons I went to go study at Gordon Conwell, because I wanted to take classes with him. And I got to take a couple classes with him, I got to work with him on some projects and so forth and such. So he knew who I was, but he had had thousands of students, uh, and so he probably didn't know my name or anything like that. But I remember this one time in particular, and uh, we were uh, walking in the hallway, and there was nobody else in the hall, it was just he and I, and he was walking towards me, and at this point, he's, I think, in his mid-70s, something like that, I'm in my, you know, mid-20s, and so we're walking, and we're about to walk by each other, and I smile at him, hello, good afternoon, Dr. Robinson, and then he stops, and he grabs me by the arm, he grabs my arm. Okay, just like a 75-year-old guy can do, right? Just, you know, come. And uh, he draws me in, and he's from, uh, he's from Harlem. And, and he kind of talks out of the side of his mouth, and he grumbles a little bit. <clears throat> so he grabs me by the arm, and he says, hey, kid. And that's, what, you know, he just, hey, kid. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, hey, kid, preachers don't build great churches. Churches build great preachers. And then he, he walked along. He just walked on. And I said, wait, wait a minute. I got some more questions. What do you, what do you mean? But I think he was right. He said, preachers, essentially. Preachers don't build great churches. People do. People build great churches. And if there's one thing that I think Paul is trying to get at, if there's one thing that I'm trying to get at, it's this. It's that preachers don't build great churches. People do. Paul was a great preacher. 
He was. He was a great pastor. He sure was. But he had never been to Rome. And yet, the whole world had heard about the church in Rome. Not because of the preaching. Not because of the pastor. But because of the people. Because pastors don't build great churches. People do. People like you. I know you're in the middle of a transition of pastors, and you, I've followed the church for the last almost 20 years, the highs and lows of pastors. But you need to take heart. Pastors don't build great churches. And don't get me wrong, you've got some great pastors, and Pastor Mark, and Pastor Paul. Pastors don't build great churches. People do. People do. Like the people in Rome. And Paul continues on, and I'm just going to read 17, 18, and 19 here, and 20. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And he continues on to tell a little bit more about his, the people that he's working with. But in essence, Paul is saying, hey church, you need to look out. Look out for the deception that's out there, but also look after one another. Look out for one another. Look after one another. Because that's why the whole world has heard about you. Not because of a pastor or a preacher, but because of you looking out for one another. When I was in uh, Spokane, Washington, before I came to Chicago, we lived there for seven years, and I was uh, teaching at, they had a branch campus out in Spokane for a little bit, but also was pastoring as well. And um, I was just pastoring a little bit, part-time pastor. And one of the things, my wife and I, we uh, recently got, we had gotten married and we were living in a two-bedroom apartment. It was a small apartment. It was, it was very nice. But one of the things that we were committed to that we wanted to do was to live close to the church where we were both serving. I was pastoring. She was also serving in the children's ministry on staff. And so we wanted to be close to the community, the people of that church. The only thing was, is that because we were newlyweds, we really couldn't afford a home in that area. And so we looked and we looked and we looked and we just couldn't find anything until finally something popped up on the market, but it was a foreclosure house. And so it needed a lot of TLC. I mean, all the appliances had been taken away. It needed, uh, you know, somebody to look at electrical, plumbing. The um, back patio was falling off. You know, the roof needed some help. And, but it was a way that we could live near where the church was. And so we put an offer in, and uh, after some negotiating, it was accepted. And so we were in, um, in escrow just waiting and waiting for us to finally close. And we were getting really excited about it. And so, of course, you know, when you're at church on Sunday morning, you're just talking about life. And so we would oftentimes tell people, hey, yeah, we actually um, just put an offer in. It got accepted. Uh, we're about to move in. It's foreclosure. It needs a lot of work. 
And it was amazing that time and time again, uh, people would say things like, oh, well, um, you know, I do a little electrical on the side. If you ever need any help, if you want me to look at anything, just, just let me know. I'll, I'll give you a hand. Um, hey, um, if you ever need help uh, painting, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll come over. I can spare an afternoon or a morning, and I'll help you paint. If you ever need a truck, if you need to borrow a truck, you can borrow my truck to move things, to pick up things. Hey, I have an old washer and dryer I'm just getting rid of. Do you, would you like it? Hey, I have some cabinets that I no longer need. Do, do you want them? Hey, I have a bunch of tools. You can borrow my tools. Hey, if you need me to show you how to use the tools that you're borrowing, I can show you how to use the tools that you're borrowing. It was amazing. Time and time again, people would just say, hey, yeah, if you need me to help in in the yard work, if you need me to bring pizza over for a night when you're having a paint party, sure, I can bring pizza over. And the day that we closed on our house, we, we pulled in, and there was already a group of people waiting with, you know, paintbrushes and, and rollers to start painting. And every, almost every time we would drive into our driveway, you know, the, for the last, or, you know, for the, for the next couple of years, we were just reminded of their generosity and their selflessness and their graciousness and their love. That's one of the reasons why it was so difficult to move. Because they were amazing. And there is a word for that. In fact, I've heard it before in many communities. The word for that is church. It's church. When people come from all different backgrounds and ages, when they look out for one another, and they look after one another, and they help one another. It didn't matter if I was a pastor or not, they would have done that for anybody. Because pastors don't build great churches. People do. People like you. Yeah, this is not just a list of names. It's a church. But you know, there is one name in this list that actually I forgot. Or we overlooked. In fact, it's the most important name on this list. And sadly, in a lot of churches, this name is oftentimes overlooked and forgotten. And it's none other than the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's everywhere in this text. I mean, just just look, right? Just look at it. In verse 3, in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, Christ, uh, convert to Christ. Um, In verse 7, they were in Christ before I was. In verse 8, whom I love in the Lord. In verse 9, fellow worker in Christ. In verse 10, approved in Christ. Uh, Verse 11, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, again, very hard in the Lord. Uh, Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. Christ, 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 Lord, 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 Jesus, 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 all over this list because it was all over their lives and it was all over their church. That's, that's what makes a church a church. This is no just community group. This is not just a group of people of, who have like-minded ideas. No, no, no. This is a group of people who are founded on one thing, 
who are centered on one thing. Not just one thing, but one person. The person of Jesus Christ. Because it's only in Christ that people can be drawn together. It's only in Christ where people can truly look out and look after one another. It's only in Christ that a group of people can be transformed from a list of names into something so much more. It's only in Christ that a group of names can be transformed into a church. And that's what you are. Let me pray for us. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for these saints in Romans 16 who have gone before us. And even though Paul had never been there, the whole world had heard about them. You remind us that, well, pastors don't make great churches. People do. God, I thank you for the saints that have gone before this church. God, I thank you for their legacy and how they have taught us how to love one another, how to love you. And God, I pray for Bethel Community Church and their future. And God, that regardless of who is the pastoring or who's not pastoring, that God, that the people, the people here would put you the center would you, that would put you and Jesus first and foremost in everything they are and in everything that they do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.